0: On The Boogie Monster, Dave Stone and Kyle Canane talk about exploration and treasure hunting, the protests, and redefining policing. On Office Hours Live, Tim Heidecker, DJ Doug Pound, and Vic Berger are joined by Thundercat and Z from Black Socialists in America. Listen to this episode to find out how you can help Office Hours raise funds for the Black Lives Matter Global Fund. Search Starburns Audio on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast platform for a full list of our shows featuring hosts like Monet Exchange, Bob the Drag Queen, and Amanda Seals. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Starburns Audio. Enjoy the show, and remember stay safe, stay healthy, and keep laughing. Feral Audio
1: um, uh, Yes, hello, everyone. <laughs> it's Steve, and I'm back with another episode of, Uh, my podcast. Uh how about that? How am I doing? Um I so far 2016, I've done more podcasts than I did all of last year. <sighs> Man, new year's resolutions are great. I'm getting a lot done. I mean not really. I'm not getting a lot done. I'm getting a lot of my podcast episodes done. But whatever, Uh, I'm really excited about this week's podcast. I recorded it maybe two weeks ago, maybe even a little bit more. I kind of have been recording a bunch of podcast episodes so I can bank them because I know how lazy I can get. So whenever I get a burst of energy, I just kind of book a bunch of my friends to do these podcasts so that I will have them. Um, I mean, the only problem is if, you know, my friends are plugging something (laughs) that needs to be, that's time sensitive, oops, but I think I've been pretty good about this, so my guest uh, on today's podcast is Chris Sullivan, who I only recently met, we became friends on Twitter after I was just spouting praises to a show called The Nick on uh, Cinemax. I had been turned on to it very recently. I was late to the show and um, it's one of my favorite shows on TV right now. Definitely one of my favorite dramas. Um, Chris uh, plays the character of Cleary, the ambulance driver. (laughs) It's a great character. I, I, I watched the show and I immediately that was one of the characters. I was like, "God damn, that's a great character." This guy's, uh, uh, this guy got a real gift by being cast in this character. It's so good, so good. But I also can't imagine any after meeting him. I can't imagine anyone else doing it. This guy's so good. Um, but then he came to L.A. to do a pilot, and we got the chance to meet because he lives in New York. So uh, we find out a few times. Cool dude, um, also a a musician. He's got an album out uh, with his band called Sully and the Benevolent Folk, which um, you should definitely check out on iTunes. It's really good. It's kind of got a uh, um, Tom Waits feel to it. I think I described it on Twitter as uh, cigar-smoking-whiskey-drinking music. Really good. Check it out. Um, so, and look for, look for Chris on Twitter and Instagram's, uh, his, uh, username is Sully acts up a C T S acts, acts up. I can't, there are certain words that I, that get jumbled in my mouth and, and, uh, I have a hard time saying them. Sully acts up. It sounds like I'm saying acts up, act, act, acts up. Sully acts acts up. His his Twitter is Sully acts up. <laughs> oh my god, I've been obsessive on this all day now. This is, and I'm not even joking. Sully acts acts. Dude, Chris, if you're listening to this, you got to change your Twitter name. <laughs> Sully acts up, acts up. Sully acts up, that's probably the closest I'm going to get to it, S-U-L-L-Y-A-C-T-S-U-P. <laughs> how about I just spell it? Hey, and how about I make this intro go on a whole bunch longer? Um, I have no shows coming up to promote, mainly because I don't know when this is coming out. Um, but uh, there will be, after this uh, episode comes out with Chris, there'll be another one in about a week. With uh, Andre Vermeulen from uh, the very funny show Angie Tribeca, which you should check out. But she should be up in about a week. So keep an eye out for that one as well. All right. Without any further ado, let's get on to the podcast. Thank you once again for listening. Um, I appreciate it very much. And have yourself a wonderful day. <laughs> um uh so so, yeah how about the weather here yeah
2: it's great Um, uh than uh what's happening in new york do you live in new york proper uh yeah the upper west side got ourselves Uh, one of those uh unicorn apartments the uh what's a unicorn apartment the mythical rent controlled open-ended sublet no shit yeah have you lived there for a long time uh we moved in 2010 from chicago and so you've got a great deal. Yeah. Well, uh, my wife and I, we uh, uh, we were getting married, and like four months before we got married, I found out I was going to do a play there. Yeah. And so we were like, "Well, what the fuck are we gonna do now? How I I I, I can't leave. We both should go." Yeah. It all worked out. She ended up getting a good uh, transfer with her job, and so. Yeah. But finding an apartment in New York is
1: dude, stupid. I know. I lived in New York for six months, and in it was 1990 i want to say 92 or 93 it's i i don't remember the date but i remember it was when letterman had his last show at nbc mm-hmm. so i think it was 92 um and uh i had a girlfriend and we were living together and we were just like let's go to new york and we just moved to new york without doing any research <laughs> we knew nobody there we just fucking packed our bags and got on a fucking plane and flew to JFK and we're like, got in a taxi and we're like, I didn't know about Brooklyn or anything. So I'm like, take us to Manhattan. So we go to fucking Manhattan. And we're like, uh, well, I guess we got to find a hotel. And so we're <laughs> staying in a fucking expensive hotel in Manhattan. And we're like, well, it, it's a little expensive, but we won't be here long. We're going to find an apartment like tomorrow. Right, right. We'll just so- go get one. And this is before internet. So we would have to wake up in the morning, go get a paper, go to the uh, classifieds and look for apartments for rent. And we'd circle them and then go call them. And every single one you'd call, they'd be like, oh, sorry, we already rented it. Yeah. It's already been rented. Already rented. For two weeks. We were in an, <laughs> an a hotel in Manhattan for two weeks, just being bled dry of all our money. And then- um, one day, uh, we called one of the numbers, and the woman's like, uh, I have a couple coming to look at this place in an hour. If you can get here before then, it's yours. So we fucking went, and it was <laughs> East 61st Street between Lexington and 3rd. Just like a place no kids would ever want to live. Like, it, that's like- No. It's right around the corner from Bloomingdale's.
2: I picture you guys with, like, oversized bindles on sticks, too. Ah. Uh,
1: yeah might as
2: well have been <laughs> we're just like holy shit
1: there's bloomingdale it's like every this is a really rich neighborhood and we were in an apartment that i no joke was the size of this room that yeah. we're recording in now mm-hmm. and it was like twelve or thirteen hundred dollars a month
2: that's ours we're, we live in a studio still it's in an old brownstone it's all chopped up it's like 450 square feet yeah that's a place we keep our clothes and we're hardly yeah. ever there yeah and, and yeah
1: and our we were we were planning on staying there at least a year. I think we made it like six or seven months before we were completely out of money. And also, it was during one of the hottest summers they'd had in like 10 years. <laughs> no air conditioning. And there was an, one of those air conditioning wall units, and it just wouldn't work. We'd fuck with it, and it wouldn't work. We couldn't get it to work. So we spent the whole summer just with the windows open and a fan just dying. And the day we left... To go back to um good idea. The day we left to go back to uh LA, uh, we're waiting for the taxi, and I'm just sitting in there sweating my ass off. I'm looking at that fucking air conditioner, and I was like, what a piece of shit. And I kicked it and it just started blowing the fucking coldest air. (laughs) And I was like, Yep, that's uh perfect. That that's uh
2: that's my luck. What were you doing? Were you doing stand-up?
1: I was I was taking art class, painting classes at the Art Students League on uh-huh. uh, West. I want to say 57th, right next to uh, there was a hard hard rock cafe. Uh-huh. It was yeah, right yeah. in there, and I was I was still I was I have a degree in art. I was going yeah. to art school, and so I just wanted to go to New York for a year and paint. And yeah,
2: and you fucking did. It was
1: cool. I got yeah. to go, I yeah. hung out in museums and yeah. I painted naked girls and
2: yeah. Why wouldn't you do that?
1: Yeah, it was really fun. Uh, I wish it would have lasted longer, though. <laughs> longer. What was she doing? She was working at a, a photo stock agency because okay. she was she is a photographer now. She was, uh, yeah, but she she was going to CalArts. She took a year off okay. at Cal Arts and was taking photos, and um, yeah, it was shitty. I I and I knew nothing about New York. Going there, like we got to our first night in that apartment. Um, we're trying to sleep and there, the building next to ours caught on fire. Like the brownstone yeah. next to our building was fucking on fire
2: and the buildings touched.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. And so there are fucking, and we wake up at like two in the morning and there's just fire engines all over the street and, and we go outside and we're just like, fuck, what have we done? And, <laughs> and then, so that was all night. And then the next, the very next night, we're woken up by jackhammers because they're filling in potholes right outside our street. And I was like, I, I didn't know anything. I was like Man. 23 years old. And I'm like, yeah. this this is illegal. They can't do that. I'm going to call just, somebody. It's the middle of the night. And so I called. Like, I saw the number on the truck, like the yeah. transit authority or whatever. And I call, and this guy's like, hello? He's like very New York, too. Yeah. He's like, yeah, hello. And I'm like, um. Yeah, some of your guys are jackhammering right outside our window, and it's yeah. like 3 in the morning. He's yeah, like, exactly. yeah, what's your problem? He's like, I'm like, well, it's late at night. He's like, when the fuck are we supposed to fix these? You know how many potholes there are?
2: And he just hung up on me. <laughs> You're like going through paperwork. <laughs> I got a guy on the phone. But I love New York, man. What, you moved there in 2010. Yeah, man, we've been there five years now, and now, now I can't hardly sleep when it's quiet. You seem
1: very New York, though. I would have thought you grew up there, but you didn't. I mean, you I've, told me you were born out here.
2: Yeah, I've I've been moving east ever since. I'm I'm Irish, man. The 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 well Sullivan the sun the sun and the and the beach. is not a place I hang out. No, up. no, yeah,
1: I avoid the sun like the yeah. I used to when I was younger would just. I used to surf a lot, and I would just just get sunburned. So I'm like terrified now of getting skin cancer. I just don't go in the sun anymore. I've already
2: got the precancer. I get it all. I get it all taken care of. Burned off. It's real, (laughs) real pain in the ass, dude. I did a couple years, like a year ago. I did this whole blue light treatment on my face because my face was so messed up. I played tennis. That was my sport for Uh for like 13 years. So I was out out in the sun for five or six hours a day. Yeah, for a decade. And I would play, uh, I would use sunscreen and stuff, but of course you miss and, and you miss, you miss stuff. (laughs) You miss. So this, this area right here. I miss my face. Oh yeah. Your temples. The temples. You put it on your nose, you put it on your eyes. And these two areas right here is where I have all my problems. And so I would go in like once or twice a year to get, uh, the, the, the problem areas burned. Like they burn them out. I don't even know what that is. And it's like they use, um, liquid nitrogen. And burn, you just freeze your fucking face. Fuck. And, and so it was getting to be such a problem where this this dermatologist was like, you know what we should do is just do uh, do your whole face. And, <laughs> and they do this thing where you put this cream on your face. The cream only attaches to the cells that are damaged. And then they shine this light and the light interacts with the cream and burns all, all of, essentially your entire face.
1: Is it in like a dark room so that they can see like the, it's like an ultraviolet thing where they find the, kind of,
2: except they don't find
1: like a scorpion, you know, scorpions (laughs) show up in ultraviolet lights.
2: Very much like a scorpion finder, (laughs) Um, but for your face. And so they put it on your face and it essentially feels like your face is on fire. For how long f- 15 minutes on each on each side Ugh. right side and left side and they give you this little hose jet of air like cool air to blow on your face <laughs> but the move the moving air only makes it worse what and the then fuck? and then I had to stay inside for like a week literally face like Freddy Krueger really like yeah. blistered and and then it all just kind of like schluffs off and now I have this uh you look like you have great skin thanks man yeah thanks it was worth it was worth it, but now I don't have to do those those things anymore.
1: Uh, this, of course, my guess is Chris Sullivan, yeah. um, who well, I only just met in person last night. Yeah, at what a Largo? Night. What a night! Um, that was honestly, I've been going to Largo for like twenty years almost, and that was one of the best shows
2: I've heard of. I've, I, you know, I went to school out here, and I'd, I'd heard about Largo. I had albums. I had uh-huh. a, an album by an, an artist named Jude. Uh-huh. Do you remember him? He was a, a singer-songwriter. He had a, a, an album that, I, that, uh, that was recorded at Largo. i had heard of all these comedy podcasts recorded at Largo. Yeah. All these famous stories. Tig's show from Largo. And I had never been there. Yeah. Until last night when you told me.
1: And we saw Larry David do stand-up for like the first time in 20, 20 years. years. And it was really funny. We were both like, uh, while he was talking, like, it sounds like an episode of Seinfeld. He sounds yeah. so much like... Yeah george costanza who was based on him but yep. like like his stand-up is just like an right you could like an like, opening of a seinfeld this episode. should be in a seinfeld episode
2: yeah. and we were trying to figure out we were asking because jeff garland was hosting which came first the 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 affectation the affectation or the, or the show or was it yeah. did seinfeld have the affectation and he was writing for him for so long that he took it on or was it the other way around they really
1: do sound very similar
2: and the answer was bernie sanders yeah. Bernie Sanders came first.
1: He uh oh, he was so funny. Bill Burr was great. Bill Burr was great. Bill Burr closed the show, but he was really <laughs> bummed out. He's like, "Why am I closing? That was amazing." <laughs> and he went on for a long time. Yeah. Uh, uh Larry David. Yeah. Like did, I was he like did 20,
2: he did 20 30 minutes. Easily 30 yeah. minutes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> easily. Yeah. And then Burr. Had, and then he did a sit-down interview with Jeff. Yeah. And uh Which was
2: Jeff, 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 going, do my old, fa- do all the favorite bits from the old stuff. Talk about the old West, yeah.
1: yeah. Larry David did a whole bit about how he he would have been totally afraid to, you know, because they tie their horses up, cowboys, <laughs> the, just to a little post outside the saloon, and he'd be like, he's just yeah. freaking out about leaving your horse just tied with this little string, and just he's f- like, I could have been. A millionaire in the old west because i would have invented horse parking lots where you go in and you put your horses and uh you know it's you know give me two dollars and i'll watch your horse for the day and he's like going off and how genius it would have been and jeff's like yeah they have that it's called stables
2: <laughs> ended the whole thing
1: so fucking funny
2: yes <sighs> it was 30 minutes it was 30 minutes about anxiety and regret <laughs> just what you would expect too. It was like an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm
1: yeah. and Seinfeld. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, so yeah, that was fun. Um, and I mean we we basically became, became Twitter friends after yeah. I started watching The Nick. Yeah, I couldn't. It's it it's quite easily my favorite show in the past oh, few shit, years. Man. Like, uh, thank you. And I, by the way, I only just started watching. I'm only like three seasons into the second season because I don't have Cinemax, mm-hmm. and so I bought the season pass on iTunes, which right. just launched like two days ago. Yeah. Um, but th- they all dropped it once because the show's already season ended. Oh, but. okay. Holy shit, dude. That show makes me so glad to live <laughs> in a time of computers and modern science right. and medicine. like. It's shit you don't even think about.
2: It's, right. it's the ni- basic, the basic stuff.
1: 1901, right?
2: Fucking New York City.
1: I mean, just shy of uh-huh. using leeches. It's like they're right. just beyond that.
2: Still, yeah, breaking out of quackery, taking surgery out of the barber shops,
1: and you pit, play Cleary, the uh, ambulance driver. It's not. I guess when the, it starts, you're not even a driver because it's like horse and carriage. Right.
2: It was like the original. The original ambulance guys were just horsemen. They were. They were guys who knew how to run a stable, yeah, and who, and who could manage the horses. And they'd run around town picking up picking up sick people and trying to uh, trying to snag rich sick people for the hospital. And because st-
1: they would get paid
2: per per person, person they
1: brought in, yeah, not just like oh, you're on a salary, you're an ambulance driver. Here's your you know right. weekly salary. It's like right. if you bring someone in, we'll pay you. Yeah. And I, I thought that was fucking fascinating, you know. And mm-hmm. the like the first episode or two, where like you show up at a at a, a site where someone's injured mm-hmm. at the same time as another ambulance, and right. get in a fucking fight, sure, over who's gonna take the fucking body and
2: sure. steal stealing patients, trying to trying to do what do whatever you can to survive. You've got
1: your big baseball bat or stick, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, old vintage vintage baseball bat. That thing was.
1: Did you? Did you do any kind of research for this, or like were I mean, you just like, okay, here's the script
2: yeah no the the Stephen uh, Soderbergh is the director, and he gave us a book to read that was uh, generally about um uh, the evolution of New York as a city as a, like a a being like as a as a as a evolving yeah. living thing, yeah, and that gave a pretty good pretty good idea about what it was like to live in the city at that time. But it wasn't about medicine in general. No, it was just not for it was me. New York. Not for me, because I, I didn't have any I didn't have any necessary need for for medical right. research background. The doctors the guys who play the doctors on the show You're a basically place. a hooligan, man. Yeah. You're like a ruffian Yeah. I mean New York City at that time was all about survival and yeah. and the rich the rich um, had a better shot at, at living longer. Yeah and so the poor were Doing whatever they could, whatever kind of hustle they could, uh, yeah, to uh, to get money so they could live longer, which is not terribly dissimilar to, to, to <laughs> where we now. are today. Yeah, um, there's just uh, we just have a little bit more control over disease and things like that. But, but yeah, so we and we had all ten scripts up front. the The way the whole show went down is 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 unique. They wrote the whole season, so we all got to see the whole season before we ever started shooting. And it's fascinating.
1: Uh, I I read an article about how he shoots it where Mm -hmm. it's like, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I mean, I guess you can confirm it where it's like, there's no like, you know, all cast members on shows get their own chairs where you can sit Mm -hmm. and like, there's none of that. And that if they're like when you would shoot say scenes in the, uh, the operating theater, Mm -hmm. they would just stay in that location and shoot, all the scenes from the whole series, yeah. at once
2: yeah, so the the way that he shot instead of shooting it like a television show, most television shows shoot by episode, right, um, so if they have if they 're in a certain location at different episodes, they have to keep coming back to it to shoot that episode, and he sometimes that 's because they don 't have the scripts in advance. exactly, but we had the scripts, so he set up a shooting schedule with his first and second AD to shoot it like a movie. Yeah. So they shot by location. Uh, it's called block shooting. Mm-hmm. And then we would go to these locations and shoot scenes, I think, the stats, because he releases all the production stats at the end. Mm-hmm. I think this in the second season, we shot, in one day, we shot scenes from six different episodes. Jesus. Um, I know I did in, in my apartment, in my character's apartment. We would, we would do... We did all of the scenes in my apartment in two days, which is the majority of of a relationship arc that, that happens. That's and, crazy. And it, it's, but nuts, it, it's exhausting, but it's also like,
1: oh, I get all my shit out of the way here, and right. then I have a couple days off of yeah. work or whatever. Yeah.
2: And he's the only one who can do it, really, because he, he directs, he operates his own camera, and he edits. So he has the story in his head is crystal clear, and he knows exactly what he needs and what he doesn't need. And it just streamlines the whole thing, you know. A, a, a movie of that size, a period movie of that size, which would be a two-hour movie, yeah, would take two months to shoot. Yeah, let's say fifty production days. Uh huh. We shot ten hours, <laughs> ten hour a ten-hour movie, a period movie in seventy-two production days. That's crazy, it's, really. It's his his efficiency. And the people that he hires and the way they work is just. What were you? What were your longest days? I think the longest I was on set for one time was maybe like six, seven hours. No shit, that's not bad. Ask anybody. He he, it's even shorter on his movies. Like people, people are in at like eight a.m. and and a lot of days you're done by four or five p.m. Yeah, which. For is unheard of in in that industry, and and then everyone's out to dinner, yeah, together uh, out on location, and Steven is sitting at the end of the table, eating and talking, but in between conversations, editing everything he shot that day on his laptop. No it's,
1: shit, it's, he edits it on his
2: laptop. On his laptop at dinner, Final Cut. Yeah, it's he
1: fascinates me.
2: He's he's beyond. There's nobody who functions like him. There's nobody who functions like him. He.
1: Was it a while ago that he was like, I'm never going to shoot another movie again? And then he went to TV
2: or the exact, the exact, or the opposite. no, the exact um, retirement thing is he yeah. said he was retiring from studio film. Right, right. And so he's, he's already making, he, he's in the process of making a movie for um, HBO right now. Yeah. Um, but I think he just, I mean, I can't speak for, for him, but it just sounds like he got tired of that system. It's
1: crazy. I mean, did you see behind behind the candelabra? That was so fucking good, and it was basically a TV movie. Yeah, that should have been a studio movie. Yeah, but I, nobody wanted to make it, right?
2: Right. He had to, he fought for that one. Yeah, but that's the thing is is that he he is real, and and everyone, I think everyone is realizing this that if you give an artist complete creative control, they will they will produce something different and they will produce something singular and they will produce yeah. something that, that, like Louis' deal, like Louis C.K.'s yeah, yeah. deal yep. where, uh, is that FX? Yeah. Yeah, where they just said, all right, this is how much money you get. However however you, you want to spend it, you spend it. And he goes, well, shit, all right, that means I, that means if I want to make the show I want to make, I have to edit it myself, yep. direct it, star in it, do all of these, and n- not take paychecks right. or whatever, whatever whatever he ended up doing. Um, and I think Netflix and HBO and Cinemax and Amazon are all starting it's to so like great. It's realize so exciting. <laughs> that it's easier for them to Take the money. We'll wait over here. Let us know when you're done. And it's not like it's not like Cinemax was completely out of out of the uh, um, the interaction. He had he had interaction. He got notes, but he he had final say. Yeah, and
1: the public is who really wins cuz we're just getting better right. shows right now right this is the best tv i used to like hate tv and yeah. now i'm like binge watching everything and it's great that you can get fucking shows all at once yeah uh netflix is just knocking yeah. it out of the park so's hbo and cinemax i mean when i was growing up cinemax was just Skinemax because of its softcore it's still 75% softcore
2: porn. Soft
1: but, like, yeah. I remember my friend Aaron was telling me about The Nick. He's mm-hmm. like, dude, you have to watch The Nick. Yeah. It's the best show on TV. And I was like, what network? He's like, it's on Cinemax. I'm like, it's not the best show on TV. Yeah. And <laughs> he wouldn't stop talking about it. Then I heard a few other people mention it. And yeah. then, but I don't have Cinemax. Right. Like, I hate paying for... Ch- right. Cable is a fucking... A nightmare right. you know oh well you know basic cable and then you can get this package I'm right. like, i don't want packages i want this network and right. this but um yeah i i had hbo go right and there was a very brief period where they had all of the right. nick right first season and i was like oh shit i can watch this I, yeah. i'll watch the pilot i sat down at like 10 o'clock at night watched the pilot <laughs> and i was up till <laughs> seven o'clock the next morning i couldn't stop watching it I was like, "This is the best fucking show yeah. on TV." And then I tweeted something about it. I think someone retweeted me, and
2: then you saw it. Yeah, well, somebody pointed out that you commented on it, and I was like, "I had already been a fan of yours," and and so I hit you up. Yeah. And that's when we became buddies. Yeah, <laughs> and here we
1: <laughs> it are. It is fucking cr- that show is fucking crazy. <laughs> I I love Soderbergh's mind, like in mm-hmm. in his choice to use modern music. The soundtrack, I bought the soundtrack immediately.
2: Cliff Martinez, yeah.
1: Who did Drive. Yeah. Oh, so fucking good. One of my favorite things to do, like, when I leave a party or a show in middle of the night is drive home with that soundtrack playing.
2: You getting on the subway oh, at night yes. in, in New York, walking around New York with that soundtrack in in the headphones is, it turns everything into a movie. <laughs> it is the best
1: score. I mean, it's better than most movies. Like, yeah. it's... Fucking, and I, I did the same thing with Drive when I saw Drive. I'm like, right. I have to own this right.
2: soundtrack. There appears there appears to be something that Steven does, like if you look at his IMDb and you look at the movies in order, that he is always trying to do the exact opposite of mm-hmm. the last thing he did and the exact opposite of what is expected in a certain scenario. Yeah. This show could have very easily gone on HBO. Like, yeah. And it oh, my God, totally. And, and would have had a, a totally different existence. Better or worse, who knows. But Stephen wanted specifically for it to be on Cinemax because he wanted – because nobody else was doing it. That's great. And he really wants to do things that nobody else is doing. And he's in a position where he is already – already everything he does is, is unique because he's directing, shooting it, and editing it himself was but. this
1: always his show was was he the one that said I want to make the show or did did the studio say we need we want to do this show we need to find a director?
2: I'm not sure I'm not sure how it happened. I know that the the creators uh, uh, Jack Emil and uh, Michael Begler um, were I had written it and then it was offered to Stephen right after <sighs> he had announced. I can't imagine anyone else making this. Yeah.
1: It's so fucking good. I've been such a huge fan of his. Did you ever see The Limey? Yeah, dude. Oh, my God. That movie is bonkers. It's got so many great actors in it. and I'm a huge Luis Guzman fan. Uh Like, that guy is fucking... He kills me in all the uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movies. He's so funny, and he's great in this movie. And the fact, the way he shot it just, like... There's a lot of shit that's out of sequence yeah. or like you'll be in a scene and then all of a sudden the dialogue from that scene will just carry over to him sitting on a plane. But you still hear the dialogue and yeah. it's just I oh, fucking shoots stuff so good.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, did you have your character Cleary is Irish? Mm-hmm. Did you have did you see a dialect
2: coach? Uh, not for this one. No, really. The Irish accent being being a 6 foot 4 Irishman, Irishman um was something that I started working on back in college just cuz I, I got asked to do it yeah and so I would work on it and You nailed it man. Oh, thanks man. It's so Thank you. Yeah. I uh and I and I've always been a okay mimic. Mm-hmm. But I'm I do a lot of talking to myself <laughs> talking to myself especially when I hear someone with an accent. Like I watch whenever I hear Brendan Gleeson perform Who's Brendan Gleeson? Um, he, you'd recognize him if, if you saw him. He's, yeah. he's an Irish actor. He's, um, he was in uh, all the Harry Potter movies. He was uh, uh, in a, did you see in Bruges? Yeah. He's the other, he's the, the other actor. Oh, okay. Who's not. Oh, uh, he's great. Who's not. Uh, Colin. Uh, Colin uh, Farrell. Farrell. Um, I just think he's the the fucking best and but whenever i whenever i am watching him perform i'm constantly like talking out loud trying to repeat and, yeah. and make those sounds but yeah that the accent for this one came came wow that's
1: crazy good. i would i'm so fucking horrible at accents i would definitely have
2: to have seen how what was the audition like for that it was it was again unique like any other time You'd be auditioning for a show like this. There'd be a bunch of hoops to jump through. Yeah, but because Stephen had the final say, I I put an audition on tape at my really? ma- at my manager's office. Really, and then I had a call back with the casting director Carmen Cuba in Brooklyn, uh-huh. where I did just the same two scenes. Uh huh. And then she did like a ten minute interview with me on on tape, just ask just chatting, and then that was it. I got it. At what point did you see Soderbergh? Like three weeks before we started shooting. No fucking shit. Yeah, yeah. Some people met with him during the audition process, but in, in my you case, you already had the job before you met case, him. Yeah, I didn't. I had never met him. Did he
1: know how big? Like, because that <laughs> seems like part of like your character is such a big ruffian. Like, as a director, I would yeah. want to have fucking seen you before like, to make well, sure you were as big in real life as you. Seemed.
2: That's the interesting that like the the that character wasn't written to be a big brute like really he was this, in the script he's like this slight wiry like kind of slime ball shit. um and in the in the New York scene like I knew a bunch of people who went in for it and it was all different types yeah like five foot tall guys six foot were five they guys. all I, was it always Irish though always Irish but. All these different body types and looks, and so luckily, he liked. And you Mike. had the beard and everything yeah. when you auditioned,
1: and yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ, it just worked out, man. It's so fucking. I can't even. Like anyone listening has to fucking see this <laughs> show. It's and I haven't even seen the whole thing. I, I was telling you it's because I don't have Cinemax. Oh man, and I. At least once a week, I would go on uh, HBO Go and be like, "Oh, maybe they've got season two on there this time." Yeah, and nothing. And then uh, it's
2: on iTunes now.
1: It just dropped on iTunes like two days ago. Okay, cool. And so
2: I want to watch the season two finale with you.
1: Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I'm three. I'm three in. Like I'm already (laughs) to the point where you. It's spoilers. uh, You know, if you don't want to hear, this isn't really very spoilery. But like, you know, if you want to just cover your ears for 30 seconds where you um find out your your wrestler <laughs> you're managing yeah. like an underground yeah, yeah, yeah. wrestler who's just a piece of shit and sucks
2: and that uh, guy that actor was so sweet it was his first his first like big thing on screen but <laughs> he was horrible and he was he was just the sweetest <laughs> dude and uh and he's this he he had like the perfect look for that old wrestler. Type. Oh my god. The they are types. so old-timey wrestler yeah. <laughs> looking
1: like like the Coney Island the the yeah. the weird strongman le- strongman yeah. suit. Yeah.
2: And that weird grappling wrestling style. Yeah. Um yeah, dude, Cleary, Cleary's a hustler, man. Whatever it takes to make money. But I was like watching this going, why isn't Cleary wrestling? Like this guy's <laughs> massive. Well, he's got to protect his money maker.
1: It's so funny the way your character develops too. Like the first, you know, half of that first season, I'm like, this guy is the biggest piece of shit. Yeah. he still kind of is the biggest piece of shit, but like, yeah. once you uh, you team up with the nun, you're yeah. like, oh my god, this guy's a little a little moral.
2: Yeah, I mean, everybody's <laughs> a little light and dark, right? That's the whole. That's the whole point of everything is that everybody's got. A certain thing a dark side and a light side and yeah. and and i've, I've always thought <clears throat> the interesting part about him is that he's completely upfront and honest about who he is there's no deception oh like i know that's what i love that shit it's he's just like you don't have to you don't have to guess what he's thinking you're so fucking rude what, in what front is- of nuns <laughs> you like
1: keep dropping f-bombs and you're like oh fuck sister what are you oh my god it's fucking great dude it's the best character
2: Kara Seymour who plays Sister Harriet is like the best partner for that character because she doesn't she's not intimidated she doesn't back down uh huh she she gives it right back yeah and it and it's just how does the cast get along everyone get along great yeah yeah we all we all still I have a really
1: great uh Clive Owen story I went in 2010 I went to uh Toronto International Film Festival uh-huh. uh with Ellen Page who's one of my best yeah, yeah. friends and we met on uh Super Oh yeah yeah uh, James yeah. Uh, James Gunn's uh who I don't know if you know James Gunn did a movie called Super and uh with Ellen he's, Page
2: he's the he directed
1: the first Guardians of the Galaxy yeah yeah. yeah yeah so he did this um did this movie with Rain Wilson and Ellen Page and I had a, a small part in it so and Ellen and I hit it off, so uh, I went to hang out with her in Halifax, Nova Scotia, for like 10 days, and uh, and then we went right to Toronto from there uh-huh. and um, uh, to for the super screening. And Ellen was like, my favorite restaurant in the world is in Toronto. It's this Portuguese restaurant called Chiado. We've got to go. And I was like like, I don't even know what Portuguese food is. So I'm like, but I'm like, all right, if you want to go, I'll, you know, I'm just tagging along. Yeah. So I'll go. And so we go to this place, Chiado. And it's one of those like five star restaurants and it's during the film festival. So everybody's there and we're sitting, Ellen and I are sitting at this table and kind of to the left of me and back one table is Clive Owen. Uh-huh. And he's with one other person who I'm assuming is like a, his publicist or his manager. Okay, And, uh, and his... By the way, it is the best restaurant I've ever eaten. I okay. Hands down, I tell everyone who goes to Toronto to eat at Chiado because it's the best steak I have ever had All right, in my life. And it's a seafood restaurant. I just
2: <laughs> And you got the steak. I hate seafood, so yeah. I was
1: like, oh, what the fuck am I going to eat on this? And uh, I was like, I guess I'll have this steak. And it was so good. Ellen and I... Changed our flight a day later so we could go back one more day and
2: eat. Now <laughs> I, I got to eat this at this place.
1: But so we're sitting there, and Clive Owen is sitting at another table. Oh, I would love to fucking ask him about this. But um, there was a guy sitting directly behind me who was at the table next to Clive Owen. And uh, he was with, like, five other people. And you could tell he was just this rich, arrogant guy who loved holding court. Right. Loud so talker. they're at this table you can't hear anyone else in the restaurant talking. You hear like, and then you hear this guy going, yeah, uh, we went down to the ocean yesterday and, uh, we stayed in our beach house." He's being super fucking loud and pompous. He wants everyone to hear him being really fucking. And then you don't hear anyone else at his table talking. He's just holding court. And Ellen and I are rolling our eyes going, ah, just fucking let this guy get out of here. Yeah, And, uh, at one point he turns to Clive Owen and goes uh I love your style I love your humor <laughs> <laughs> he just I think he says uh Clive uh love your style I love your humor and Ellen and I are fucking covering our mouths trying not to laugh out loud at how weird that is like style and
2: humor not I'm a big fan of your movies right his style, he's known for. He does. He's. He, he. He does some modeling, but humor. His humor.
1: I mean, I'm sure he's a funny guy. I mean, you he would is. know. But like, he is. But you. He's what not movie are you watching? Yeah. What movie are you watching? That you're like, God. If I ever see Clive Owen, <laughs> I'm gonna tell him how fucking Children of Men was fucking hysterical.
0: Children of Men.
1: Hum- was humor, yeah. <laughs> <Children> of men. <laughs> by the way a fucking phenomenal, movie. game-changing movie. Yeah. I love that. But, well, half a minute. So this guy. Uh, and Clive is just like, oh, thank you. And, and that's it. And yeah. then he he just goes back to eating. Finally, they leave. I think Clive Owen leaves. Oh, no, these people leave. And then Clive and whoever he's with leave. And Ellen and I are just like, that was the fucking weirdest shit I've ever seen. And so, like I said, we changed our tickets so we could go to that restaurant one more night. So the next night we go. And I think we closed out the restaurant. We're just sitting there. And they all know her there because I think she goes every time. And so the maitre d' or the, uh, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but like (laughs) one of the guys comes up to us and he's like one of the waiters and he's like, we're like, yeah, we were here last night. There was this crazy loud guy behind us and the the waiter's like, oh yeah, I, I, I was here. In fact, uh, At one point, he called me over, the loud, pompous guy, and gave me a note and asked if I could give it to Clive Owen. (laughs) And it said, uh, Mr. Owen, I have a a house right on the outskirts of Toronto, basically. And, um, uh, you know, if you're looking to hang out with some real people and uh, something to the I don't remember it exactly, but if you want to come to our house for like a barbecue or yeah. And he gave it to this waiter and was like, yeah, give this to Clive Owen. He didn't give it to him. No. Um, but I, I was like, do you still have the the paper? Because if you give it to me, I'll call this guy and tell him I'm Clive's publicist and that Clive wants to come have a barbecue <laughs> tomorrow night. And, so, and then this guy's going to go through this whole fucking thing of like – He didn't have the note, Ah. but I was like, this guy would have then had this huge party planned and like rolled out the red carpet and had all this food made up and then just never shows up. Then you should have shown up. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) But, uh, that would have been too fucked up, but it was so fucking weird. So then like two years ago, this is like three years later, uh, Ellen calls me up and she goes, you are not going to believe what just happened on Twitter. I go, what? And she sends me a screen capture of a tweet from a guy in Toronto. And I don't re- really remember what this guy looks like. He looked like a rep- what we would say yeah. a Republican, like white hair, sure. uh, nice suit, yeah. white guy. Like, he looked, you know. Canadian. Yeah. And he, uh... so she sends me the screen capture of a tweet that a guy in Toronto sent to her that said, Ellen Page, I love your humor. I love your style. This was... It's his line. This is years later. Yeah. It's his
2: fucking line. Yeah.
1: How crazy is that?
2: So this guy...
1: And I'm looking at it going... And, and I, I go on my computer and I look at his profile and I'm like... Because I don't think I, I could yeah. tell that it, yeah, where yeah. he was from. And I, I like click his profile and I'm like, oh, he's from right outside of Toronto. This is the same fucking guy. And, and he that's has his a, line. he has
2: a lifelong performance art piece where he just tells everyone humor and style I like your style I like your humor it was so fucking weird can we take that can we use that I do like your style I like your humor <laughs> <laughs> Um, Clive is Clive is the real life fucking James Bond really he's the smoothest like ch- most charming most amenable like easiest to get along with most prepared never never looks nervous in any situation he's like he's the best he really seems he's one of those people
1: that like just even whatever movie he just seems so charismatic that you're like I would yeah I'd hang out with that guy yeah and I have no idea what he's like in real life, he's but I—he's
2: got two daughters who are, who are like the smartest young ladies you could meet, yeah, and like who are spending their spare time supporting uh, this uh, charity um, for educating children in Africa. Awesome that, that he that he helps them with, and just a really nice family. That's so great. I uh,
1: I read I don't know how true this, is, but like because on the show it that also says a lot about him that like. He seems so likable, yet his character on the show is kind of deplorable. Like he's a coke addict, and then a heroin addict. Yeah. So he's not like the greatest person. Um, he's very much focused on his work right. and drugs. Sure. Like he's very centered around that. And you know, if he hurts somebody to get that, yeah. to get what he wants, then
2: well, it's that rock star thing, right? It's that. It's those people who the
1: world revolves around me
2: yeah and and they and they have a certain level of uh, creative creative energy or or intelligence that keeps them operating at a certain high and then in order to maintain that high all the time the coke the cocaine comes in or the heroin comes in and and it just spirals out of control the i I was just telling somebody on on uh this radio interview um uh, I was talking to Sandra Bernhardt about it. Uh-huh. And uh, they were the design, the costume design for Clive on that show. God, but it's so good. Uh, He's like, I want to be David Bowie. He's like, he's the David Bowie of he surgeons. is, yeah. Like with the white shoes and the crushed velvet jacket. Oh, it's so cool. And like just kind of spaced out and and a rock star. Like literally yeah. his little mustache. and yeah. Yeah, he's a badass. And his hair is kind of, like, yeah. greasy. Perfectly but, greasy. But, like,
1: messed up, but in a cool way. Yeah. Ah, oh, he looks so fucking cool in that show. Yeah. Is it true that I read that this will be maybe a little spoilery, so if you want to cover your ears for 30 seconds, like, you know, the first season ends with him in recovery from mm-hmm. cocaine yeah. addiction, and they're they're weaning him off it right. with heroin. right. And then he be becomes a heroin right. addict. Right right, 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 I read that he wanted to try heroin. Oh, geez. did you hear about this? <laughs> but that the studio was like, no, 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 you I, can't. I, I, I did not hear that. I read something somewhere where he was like, he's like, for the he's like, I want to know what it's like to do heroin.
2: I I want to try it. I mean, but they were like, there's a couple of over the counter over the counter things you can take. But they're like, no, we <laughs> no, refuse no. to let you do that. Yeah, what were they going to go get it for him? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, well, that's the other yeah, thing is yeah. like,
1: well, now we have well, to say no, because if you OD and die, we can't be like, yeah, yeah.
2: we've told him to do his research. We'll just send a PA out to, to pick, <laughs> pick up some, some heroin. But yeah, all every drug, every cocaine, you know, cocaine, heroin, you know, uh, ecstasy used to be a drug for depression. Yeah. Um, like all of these things that, that, that we were giving people for for the longest time. That's you know,
1: really the most fascinating part about that show is the, is watching the medical treatments that they would Yeah, like dude,
2: just fucking My uh my minor in in college was alcohol and drug studies. I was training to be a dependency counselor. Uh-huh. And one of the craziest like realizations that I had in that whole program was that there's no drug that you put into your body that does anything to you. Uh, physically, uh-huh. like the the drug itself. The only thing the drug does is open a door to the part of your brain that already holds that drug, yeah. whether it's dopamine or serotonin yeah, yeah. or adrenaline or yeah. whatever it is. Those drugs go into those little rooms that are holding those drugs and just keep the door open longer. Everybody out. Everybody <laughs> yeah. out. All the dopamine out, all the serotonin out. Um, and yeah. so it's, it's crazy, which is why we can get addicted to things like skydiving or or sex or whatever it is because it's all of those things go to the little receptors in our brains and just release all those drugs oh it's bonkers you know? i i mean i did
1: ecstasy once the first time i did it and i did it just because there was a girl i yeah i had a crush on and i wanted to i desperately didn't know how to only make only reason i didn't know how drugs. to make the first move with her so and we were hanging out one night, yeah. and she's like, oh, my God, I just found ecstasy in my drawer. You want to do ecstasy? And I didn't want to fucking do ecstasy, but <laughs> I was terrified of it. But I was like, yeah. Yes, I do. I, because I want to make out with you or have sex yeah. with you. So I was like, yeah. And so I did it. And it really was probably the best high I've ever had. Like, it was yeah. amazing. But then it was three days after that of because it... Like you said, opens that door. Uh-huh. And every ounce of serotonin left, uh-huh. just rushed into my uh-huh. body. And it yeah. was great for six hours. And then I had no more serotonin. So yeah. for three days, I was just crying. I had to go to a oh, family man. reunion the next day. Jesus. And I'm sitting at the dinner table with relatives I haven't seen in 10 years. And I just start bawling out of the middle of nowhere at this family reunion. It was fucking
2: horrible. Yeah. And and you do you do it enough times. It just breaks those breaks the doors. Yeah. And, and those doors never open again. <laughs> yes. So
1: I was just like Yeah, I don't think I want to do know, this again. Yeah. I get too depressed anyway. <laughs> I don't need Did you guys
2: get to make out at least?
1: No, it was really weird because ah! it was well, it was so non sexual. It felt right. great but totally non sexual. Right. It was like there was like three or four hours where we just sat on her bed with our shirts off, rubbing lotion on each other. <laughs> like, I was just mushing lotion into her boobs for, like, three or four hours because it felt fucking amazing. Yeah. Like, boobs feel great to begin Anyways. with. Anyways. When you're on ecstasy with lotion, they are, like, fucking these angelic pillows of, like, like fucking tingling. It's like, Fuck. Like, it, but it was non sexual. So I was just like, this feels like, you know, when yeah, a cat sure, is sure. on your chest and it's kneading, that's what you're fucking doing. You're like kneading dough. On. I'm like, I, her boobs must have been so sore the next day. <laughs> but moisturized. Yeah. But oh moisturized. my God. So smooth. smooth. <laughs> um, yeah, I've
2: never done it. I've always It's. It interests me, but.
1: I'm glad I did it, you know, that once. Yeah. It was. Uh, yeah I do mushrooms like
2: once a year yeah that's the only that's the only thing I've ever tried and, and
1: i I don't have a problem with that because it's like it's a
2: natural right
1: right that's... I enjoy that yeah I,
2: yeah that's a good one <laughs>
1: that's a good one um i I just watched the scene the last episode I watched of the show in season two was the doctor uh what's his name with that He has an eye problem.
2: Oh, uh, uh, Andre Holland's character. Yeah, um,
1: and so he, he's trying to keep it secret. So he's like pawning off all his surgeries on other surgeons. Yeah, Doctor Algernon. Yeah, and Clive finally is like Edward's doctor. Is like what? What's going on? And yeah. and so he confides in him, and he's like, "There is something we can try. Um, I, I would like you to perform it on me. Mm-hmm. This eye surgery, basically, okay. and um." Clive's like, okay, but we have to do it at night when no one will come in the hospital and catch us, and so they're just in this operating room and they do it. Oh my god, it's like something out of Clockwork Orange, where he yeah. like puts this numbing agent in his eye and then he cocaine ing- just liquid cocaine. Oh yeah, he put cocaine in his eyeball, <laughs> and then he he gets a syringe. Dude, this was the hardest thing for me to watch, and I don't know how they fucking shot this. He takes a syringe, and like I don't know how they did this. Puts the fucking needle right in the guy's eyeball and then injects it, you know, and they have those little, uh, clockwork orange, like little fork things that... To keep the eyelid open, yeah. How did the actor... How is he like, okay, put these in my fucking eye. (laughs) It looks so... I was going, uh, I... Yeah. This was at like three o'clock this morning that I'm watching this and like, I was starting to fade because we'd, we'd been out at Largo and I was like really tired and so I was starting to fade. And when that scene came on, I was wide awake and just like, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. oh, no. When the when the needle went in the eyeball, I was like, Jesus
2: fucking Christ. <laughs> this year, that for episode one, I, I got a bunch of people together and we watched episode one together, like 100 people. Yeah. And it was the first time I'd watched an episode with a large group of people in like yeah. a movie theater style <laughs> setting. Yeah. And I can't remember what happens in episode one. What there's what, what the surgery is but there was a moment like that and it never occurred to me that we all the entire room goes no oh, yeah no there's
1: moments like that in every episode yeah. like when they're uh what's the one with the the electricity goes yeah. out and like yeah or someone gets elect Electric- electrocuted yeah. doing surgery and dies and
2: because electricity's brand new brand oh,
1: new good. they're like the yeah. first hospital with electricity yeah. and it's fucking crazy um yeah i just watch it going i am so fucking glad yeah if something happens to me now i can go into a hospital and like they can just put me to sleep mm-hmm. and do this without me knowing about it in a nice <laughs> you, clean you know i get kidney stones and people wearing gloves yeah i suffer from kidney stones and i'm like what would i have done in 1901 like Nothing. Can I mean, I guess nothing. for the most part, I pass them on my own anyway. But yeah. like I have the luxury of going in and getting drugs. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess in 1901, they would, would have just given me cocaine.
2: Yeah. Which would have worked out great for your pain. I don't see. I don't.
1: <laughs> I mean, I've tried coke a few times. But I don't remember it being like pain numbing, though.
2: I think I think in a liquid form. Injected into your vein <laughs> might be a little, into your eyeball might be a little different, um, oh, or so into your brutal. spinal column as they as they did. But yeah, as we were talking about too, a bunch of the a bunch of your your buddies are in the show too. Is as, as yeah Stephen is uh, won't to do. With, John, uh, yeah, he
1: likes working with comedians. Yeah, I think that started with uh, the informant. Mm-hmm. Paul F. Tompkins has an album where he talks about his album. I think it's called Laboring Under delusions labor. I forget what it's called, but it's, it's the album where he talks about all the jobs he has. And then it goes into acting and he talks about doing the informant. And, uh, yeah, my friend Tom Papa did that. Mm -hmm. And Tom, you know, got some kind of relationship with Steven out of it because he's been in, uh, the Nick, he plays Mm -hmm. the, the Mm -hmm. X-ray salesman. Yeah. And, um,
2: behind the candelabra,
1: behind the candelabra. So that's, but yeah, man, it's,
2: i comedians. Comedians make good dramatic actors.
1: And ho- John Hodgman, who the
2: honorable, the honorable I would judge. say,
1: hands down, was the creepiest character.
2: Dude, he's so good.
1: He's like the the yeah. running the mental institution. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, oh, yeah, we think she's crazy. We think insanity comes from infection. Yeah. And we think the infection is coming from plaque in your wife's teeth. And so they just fucking take all the teeth out of this yeah. woman's head. And then they would just start removing
2: organs until yeah until and if this you know. doesn't work, we'll remove her liver. What? Yeah, it's, which is why which is why the lobotomy became a thing. Like, yeah. oh yeah, look at this. If we just pierce this part of the brain, they become docile again. Yeah,
1: they won't act crazy. They just won't act at, at all. all. They're going to be yeah. a zombie.
2: And John Hodgman does all of his own uh, mustache acting. Yeah, he's brings got his a own, great brings his own mustache.
1: I just love that the style, like the whoever does the wardrobe. Did, did they win any awards for like? There were Set design or wardrobe. Uh, or Ellen
2: Ellen Moroshnik is uh, is the designer, and she does a lot of work with Steven, Did behind the candelabra too, and she's just.
1: I don't know why that show hasn't won every fucking award.
2: You like, know, why wasn't Clive nominated for a Golden Globe? I have no idea. <clears throat> I have no idea. The the you know the only thing I can think is you know there is a lot of there is a lot of legwork that is done, um, for those to get nominations. You know, there's a lot of sh- glad handing and a lot of you know shaking hands and going to dinners and and to be honest, and I and I actually prefer this and I respect it. Stephen doesn't have time for that shit. Yeah, he doesn't care. <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's too busy working on his next thing to, he's so to be. Fucking-
1: and by the way, are they going to do a third season? Uh,
2: we don't know yet. We don't know yet. It's up in the air, but it looks like... Uh, it looks but like,
1: Cinemax probably is like, please do another I season. I mean,
2: yeah. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of, of... I think the first two seasons came so quick and so... Um, I don't want to say easy, but kind of flowed out of all the creators and Steven and things that I think that they really want to make sure that if... if if and when, if and or when they do a third season, that it's it's up to the standards of what we've done so far.
1: How much how much time passes in in those two seasons? Like what time span? Like is, a year or yeah. six
2: months? Six months to a year between? Because I noticed it was
1: still 1901 yeah. when the second season. Yeah, I think started. it's only
2: like, I think if I remember, it's like six months between <laughs> the end of the first season and the beginning of the. Jesus second.
1: Christ! And you shoot in New York? Yeah, in the win- you were shooting in to the winter. The, yeah, there it's crazy because it looks like old in New
2: York it doesn't look doesn't do it doesn't a, take much to, to 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 get New York back yeah I guess years. some of those those buildings have been there for a hundred years so the only things that are new on a lot of them are the storefronts on the first floor right and they cover those up and and you know
1: and do you use is there a studio that you guys use for interiors
2: yeah there's a there's a studio in Greenpoint Brooklyn that uh, on the East River that looks out over all of Manhattan. That's... Oh my God, I hope you guys do I'm a old. third season. It's
1: yeah, ugh, it's so fucking good. And I, I also want to talk about, yeah, you're a musician. Yeah. You, you have an album which I just downloaded the other night, which is fucking great. Yeah, thanks, man. And I don't throw that around, you know, willy-nilly. Oh, thanks very much. Uh, I'm always um, a little skeptical because there are a lot of actors who like yeah, I have a band, too. And sure, you're like, uh, yeah. And but, so it's always, like, that's weird. Even though, like, looking back on it, I'm like, why is that weird? Like, right. that's the way our brains work. Like, right. I have done, you know, I have a degree in painting. Right. I right. moved to L.A. because I was in a band. I right. wanted to be a musician. Right. Like, I, you know,
2: stand-up was my first, lo- like... You act on TV it's shows. It's the art. You do stand-up. Th- this is the thing. We... Are, we're artists. We're not actors, we're not comedians, we're not yeah, painters, we're yeah. not musicians. We're artists. Yeah. We have we have and we've decided to to take a creative path in in our yeah. in our lives and a lot of times there's there's some weird fucked up shame that comes with calling yourself an artist. Yeah. Because someone has told you that it sounds weird saying right, it. Right. Someone has told you that you don't get to call yourself that and it's like it's a weird th- shame that we have. Like when I that surrounds You know
1: that. every time we do a new gig Every time you go to guest star on a TV show right. or do a movie, you have to fill out a shitload of paperwork. Mm-hmm. It's like most people you get a job at a company, you fill out your paperwork and that's it. You don't have to do any more paperwork the rest right. of your life because right. you have one job. Right. This every fucking show mm-hmm. you work on, it's new paperwork. Yep. So you're used to writing in you know, on your w- W-2s or W-9s or whatever, like you know, job title. Right. And there's all. I swear to God, like twenty years of doing this, I'm still like, uh, do I put actor? Uh, do I put actor, comedian? Do I put writer on this right. one? Do I? Right. And I, I would love to just write artist, but like that seems so
2: fucking weird to write, right? Because and, and there's an inherent, you know, negativity that comes along with it. There, there used to be a time where where an artist was was lauded and held up and, and, and something that people aspired to. And now there's a weird kind of, yeah, the only word is shame that, 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 (laughs) that, that that people put on it to where, to where they want to know what the fuck you contribute because, because you're out. Oh, you're an artist.
1: What do you have a vine? Yeah. You have a YouTube channel.
2: Yeah. And, and, and so early on, like, I started n- trying trying hard not to identify too closely with being an actor, uh-huh. because then when I wasn't acting, uh-huh. I would start to feel depressed, bad, like yeah. uh, 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 unfulfilled, because I wasn't acting. I and if I'm not acting and I call myself an actor, then what's the fucking point? But all of these things that we do, you walk around with a camera. Mm-hmm. You're fo- you're also an amazing oh, my photographer. camera goes with me everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. I have, I have one as well. And there's something, there's something amazing about having a camera, not only having a camera, but printing out a photo and p- setting mm-hmm. it in front of you as an artist and having a tangible thing to look at yeah. and go, I made that. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think it's fucking good.
1: Yeah. It's the, there's a whole weird, yeah. I, people see me with my camera and they go, Oh, are you a photographer? And I'm always like, Yes, embarrassed. I'm go. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it's
2: just a hobby, right? It's just a hobby. Don't don't judge me. No, I'm an artist, and right now the way <laughs> I'm expressing myself is through photography, and it, and so the the music thing, the music. I've always loved music. When and did I, you start playing? You play guitar. I play guitar, very basically. Uh huh. I'm I'm a, a rhythm guitar player, and. I've always wanted to participate in music. I've always sung. I've always been able to sing along with with other great voice, dude. (laughs) Thanks, man. Like really good. Thank you very much. Um, And I got into The Artist's Way. Did you ever do that? Oh, yeah. Sure. I totally did. For anyone who doesn't know, it's this book that was written by a lady named Julia Cameron Mm -hmm. that's essentially like a 12-step program (laughs) to creative recovery. Yeah. It's a 12-week program, one chapter per week. And you can either do it by yourself or you can do it in a group. And so we did it in a group no shit. back in Chicago. Yeah. And you identify your blocks and you identify all of the people in your past who have said, Don't do this. Don't do this. Yeah. It's going to lead to nothing. You're no good. Who, who've, play, who've placed these little seeds of doubt. And they become this inner critic in your head that whenever you do something, yeah. tries to convince you not to do it. And so music was a huge thing. I'd written half a song a uh-huh. hundred times and thrown it in the garbage, yep yep, and so i was doing I was doing this exercise they have this thing called morning pages, where every morning right you when you write. wake up, you write mm-hmm. you don't it doesn't matter what you write
1: it's that by the way is the best advice you
2: can give any anybody stream of consciousness anybody it's the best, and it becomes it becomes this weird purge of negativity and doubt and all these things. That, that you wake up with as you mm-hmm. start a new day. Mm-hmm. And you put it on the page and as soon as you write it down, you realize how small it is, how irrelevant it is. Insignificant. Insignificant. Yep. And you get to move on with your fucking day. Yeah. But one day I'm writing and I'm doing some stream of consciousness stuff and all of a sudden the lines start rhyming. Oh wow. Uh... And, and by the time I was done with my three pages, I had this song called Good Man that I then picked up the guitar and in 20 minutes the song was done. Yeah. And it was the first song I've I ever wrote. Yeah. And I loved it. Yeah. I loved every part of it. Sure. I had no doubt that it was good. Yeah. It felt good to me. Yeah. And so that kind of led to that little bit of confidence in that one little song. I then bought a ukulele, and I'm like, "Well, how does this thing work?" Mm-hmm. And one morning, I'm doing my morning pages, and I pick up the ukulele, and I just start improvising a song. Yeah. And I think it's the last song on the album, actually. I just hit GarageBand. Yeah. Hit record and improvised this song. Is that what you hear on the album? Yeah, the I think one from I think Ga- GarageBand. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, and uh, and it was called "Without You." It's a demo at the, it, at mm-hmm. the end of the album. I put four demos mm-hmm. from. From this process, right. which I called the Ukulele Odyssey. Wow, those sound really good. Thanks, man. I had no idea. Um, but what I did was, I was like, "Fuck it, if I'm if I want to write songs, I got to write songs." And so I set out to write a song a day for 30 days. Jesus. Yeah, it was. It was. Fucking, did you do it? I did. Wow. It ended up being 34 days. I stopped at 34. Yeah. I had a couple couple more, but it was it was it was essentially somewhere in me uh, like a football coach going stop fucking around and if you want to write songs fucking write songs you yeah, know, don't think about don't it don't think about it, it. stop thinking excuses, about it just do it and the only way to do it was to do one a day yeah because then i would wake up in the morning and it, i use my morning pages to write yeah lyrics yeah then i would record them and post them online by the end of the day it's amazing how easy it is but i i didn't have time to like second guess it i didn't have time to start over i didn't have time to so if the song sucked then today's song sucks i have a whole soundcloud page full
1: of that shit yeah i you know i do a show which i would love to have you do sometime called baked with uh my my yeah. partner brendan small who did metalocalypse yeah and yeah Hermannies. yeah and it's a stand-up it's a monthly show with stand-up and then uh music and we have like three comedians come in and do a stand up set and then they do a song of their choice oh, with awesome. our our backing band who are just like Zappa guys guys who played with Zappa awesome. and really amazing band and so these guys just say I want to do this song by T-Rex and our band's like all right we'll we'll know it by the time the show happens and they awesome. do awesome and then um and so Brendan and I are on, do the show every month and we do a different song so I was like why am I doing covers every month I go I should write a song for every show, and then at the end of the year, you'll have enough songs for an album. Yeah. And I did that, and I I had a bunch of songs, and I went out to Joshua Tree to Rancho De La Luna, you know, and uh, recorded a bunch of songs. We haven't mixed them yet, but I have, like, a bunch of songs. That's
2: fucking great. That's fucking
1: great. And you're just like, wow. It's amazing how you just, like, make yourself do it. Yeah. It becomes completely attainable. Yeah. If you write a song a month, you have an album. Yeah. In a year. Whenever people, you know, talk to me or like, you know, some people ask me questions on Facebook or or Twitter and stuff like, what advice do you have? I'm like, just whatever you want to do, just do it. If you want to make movies, just, you got an iPhone, you have a camera, just make, you can edit in your camera now. Just One of the biggest hits at Sundance was Tangerine. Tangerine, yeah. Shot Shot on an iPhone. iPhone. And you... It doesn't matter how shitty it is. Just as long as you're making something, just the fact that you're doing it, you learn from mistakes. So if you make something shitty, you can look at it and go, oh, that doesn't work. I should have done this. And you figure it out.
2: Go back and watch Steven Soderbergh's Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Yeah. The whole thing was done for like 10 grand.
1: I know. It's fucking bonkers.
2: And... uh, and that's the other thing, Steven, Steven watches a movie a day. Oh, that's fucking great. <laughs> Where he finds the time, I don't know. I don't know, right? But by the end of the year, he's seen three hundred and sixty-five more movies. He's the most educated dude out there on film, like. Yep. And and the only thi- but the only thing, but he loves comedy too. Like this yeah. is the thing. People ask about acting. How do you how, any any advice on getting started? F- no. There's, there is none. Everyone has, and there, and there's no correct path because everyone's different. Yeah. But the only thing that you can do is make yourself a well-rounded person. Mm-hmm. Make, give you, give yourself something to draw from as an artist. You have to go have experiences. You have to go feel feelings. You have to go, yeah, break hearts and have your heart Don't broken. Sit. And, yeah, the and, worst thing you can do is just sit in your house and yeah.
1: click refresh on Twitter. Right. Go and out and
2: you got to go do things that fucking scare you.
1: Yeah, go out and get in fights. Yeah,
2: <laughs> if that's what it fucking takes to 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 spark something in yourself, you have to go do it. Yeah, if you want to be a comedian,
1: it it doesn't help just to sit and write jokes. You no. have to go out and do them. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you got. Just the only advice you can give someone is to just fucking do what you want to do. It doesn't matter where you live. You can.
2: And if it scares you, that's probably what you should be doing.
1: Yeah. I still get scared every time I do. Every time I
2: book a new acting gig, like my first day of shooting, I'm fucking terrified. Yeah. And eventually, eventually the terror never fully goes away, but it but it lessens and you and you figure out and you get to use you it. Have you tools. get to use that excitement and yeah. like,
1: yeah, nervous energy.
2: Yeah. The I had I had the biggest fear of improv
1: mm-hmm.
2: when I first moved to Chicago. I was like, "Well, now I'm living in Chicago. I got to I I'm here in this city." And if I'm not doing improv or sketch, then what's the fucking point of living in the city? You can, Yeah, that's uh you that's can basically act. improv. You, you can act elsewhere, like but you yeah. got to take advantage. It took me a year to like just pay the money and sign up for classes. Yeah. And those are the best acting classes I've ever had. Where did you take classes? At, at? IO. Yeah. And got to play on, on on some teams with some amazing people and yeah. and there's a, there's a there's a teacher there who is one of the the old guard um, from Del Close's days named Jimmy Corain, uh-huh. who's... I've heard God that he, name. Yeah, he's just, he's he's a, he's a wizard. You know, he's like one of these old, uh, I don't mean old, I just mean from, from, from a few generations ago mm-hmm. who still has the words from the originator. You know what yeah. I mean? He holds the wisdom. <clears throat> and he has this class called, or I don't know if he still does, but it was called Art of Slow Comedy. And it was this three-hour class once a week that was about improv but it was about not chasing comedy not chasing not jumping the joke. in for an immediate joke yeah. yeah and you go see you know somebody like do, do TJ and Dave come out here to perform no but i, I uh, Dave Pasquazi? Dave Pasquazi and TJ uh, Jagodowski? Uh Dave
1: does i don't i don't think i've ever seen TJ out here i yeah. uh
2: they do a show together Yeah i've and, heard and they and it's it it, it will blow your mind i know i've seen him he's fucking funny as hell if any if you're in any city new york or chicago i know they do pretty regularly they have this two-man improv show where they don't take they don't take a a suggestion they just come out look at the audience introduce themselves and say trust us this is all made up yeah the lights go down the lights come back up and they go for an hour yeah and that's great sometimes it's not funny sometimes it's (laughs) heartfelt sometimes it's sometimes it's uh serious sometimes but yeah. no matter what happens you see genuine interaction between two yeah artists just in the moment we are fully connected to each other scenes in the moment that's yeah, the
1: best um but yeah oh shit we've done it over now uh, that's great i so your album is called the
2: odd sea yeah um the group's called sully and the benevolent folk benevolent folk yeah. where'd you come up with the name Where, where's the odd sea come from well it's it's a breakdown the my producer who's one of my musical mentors and and kind of i get inspiration from his name ben Kaplan. Mm-hmm. he came up with it he uh the original 30 songs in 30 days i had titled the ukulele odyssey uh-huh and so odyssey the odd sea
1: oh and, i like that yeah uh yeah you I you guys should check it out it's I mean I I tweeted about it yesterday yeah. I get I, it on Bandcamp iTunes the whatever. only thing I I mean the thing that comes to mind when listening to it is like cigars and whiskey like, yeah man it's got a very um uh Tom Waitsy feel yeah. to it
2: like really good songs thanks man yeah as I was going through it was it was uh you know trying to come up with inspiration of how do you st- put a band together well all a lot of my friends are professional musicians who, yeah. who play on Broadway or who play in other bands or or and so I just asked them all to come together once the songs were done and help me um, orchestrate them Ooh. but Ben Kaplan, the producer who played guitar and drums on the record really helped me bring everyone together We rehearsed for like two days and then we recorded for two days and then sat in in his apartment for like a nice month. Step mixing it in his apartment but the whole the whole process was not to be too precious it was just all right let's rehearse these all right let's record them yeah let's not let's not get stuck in like worrying about getting the best recording ever or yeah making sure the song's perfect let's yeah. just record these and have fun and and move on and, and so the record is some of the best albums have been like that i i love uh
1: I was never a Springsteen fan. I was never into Springsteen. And then I was at a party one night with uh God who was it? Craig Wedron, who uh does all the music for David Wayne's movies and he did the theme to Stella and an amazing musician. He was in a band called Shudder to Think. And um I was like, Yeah, I just never got into uh into Springsteen. He's like, You gotta check out Nebraska. Springsteen has an album called Nebraska that he just recorded on a four-track in like his kitchen. Yeah, I was like, all right, and I downloaded and I was like, this is one of the greatest things I've ever heard.
2: Yeah, it takes me time to get into certain. I'm. I was the same with the Rolling Stones. I still have never quite connected. Yeah. The Clash. I I listen to the I listen to the Clash like once a year, Mm -hmm. trying to just double check to make sure. like now's not the time that i'm supposed to be into them yeah
1: but i, I i'm the yeah. same way there's a few songs there's a few songs by a lot of artists that i'm i like fucking love Yeah, and then the rest i'm like ah. yeah. <laughs> for me it, and i i am embarrassed to admit that the beatles like i totally appreciate and understand how mm-hmm. amazing they are yeah. but there are fucking certain songs one instrument I fucking despise is the harpsichord. <laughs> and it's in a lot of Beatles songs. And it fucking makes me want to knock my own teeth out. Just ding, ding, ding. Yeah. I'm just like, fuck, why did they use a harpsichord? <laughs> yeah. I fucking hate it. Even though I have a, a, they have a song called Fixing a Hole, yeah, which uh, is heavy a harpsichord. And I'm like, the song still is fucking amazing. Yeah. But there are certain Beatles songs which I fucking go ape shit for like I know they're fucking great Mm -hmm. but there are some songs I'm just like this is just too poppy for me or yeah what are you gonna do and that's
2: the interesting I think there are some Beatles songs that are just ridiculous and a joke like I, I like there are a few songs where uh uh where I'm like they were in the studio and they were like put it on the record they'll buy it Kind like, of, kind of, <laughs> and they <were> like right. <laughs> joking, joking around, like throwing it out there. But all, but again, why is that? Why is that any less valid than? Sure. let it be. It's you know a song, I mean? like, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Do you have anything you want to plug? Any? Uh, uh yeah. Hit me up on Twitter, yeah, you, you, Twitter, Twitter and Instagram. Sully acts up. Yeah, S U L L Y A C T S U P. And that's
1: it's the same on Twitter and Instagram. yeah, yeah, yeah. And
2: uh, you've been telling me about chili. Oh since yeah, we're yesterday. gonna go to Chili
1: John's right after this and mow down on some amazing chili. And uh, yeah, thanks for doing this. I I fucking hope we get to work together someday. Hey, how awesome would that? be? I don't be?
2: know what the uh, what the venue would be, but uh,
1: yeah, I can't I can't imagine a, a situation where we'd work yeah, together because it seems like we we're would both be
2: six foot five. You're six six. Yep, six seven, six six.
1: Um, we'd be auditioning for the same big part. Big
2: beards. We'd have to. It needs to be two brothers. Yeah. Road trip movie? Like a road trip movie?
1: Brothers for sure, I I can see. Yeah. Other than that, I don't know how how we've ever worked together. We'll figure it out. Yeah. All right, thanks for doing this, Chris. My pleasure. Bye. Feral Audio. Want entertainment designed just for
2: you? Then check out customizable streaming TV from Xfinity. It makes your life simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity gives
1: you customizable streaming TV options. Enjoy the most free shows anywhere on any device and even access your streaming apps right on your TV with X1. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.